podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And what a great episode we have today. We are very privileged to have the company of the member of the European Parliament, Barry Andrews. MEP Andrews represents Ireland and Fianna Fáil in the Parliament and is a former Minister for Children and Youth Affairs, CEO of Goal and Director General of EEA. The MEP was very generous in giving us some of his time during the Alder Party Congress that happened in Dublin. So, MEP Barry Andrews is playing at home. That took place between the 2nd and the 4th of June. And because of that, you will notice that some parts of the conversation are, let's say, dated. But unfortunately, as it seems, if you replace Boris Johnson by Liz Truss, we continue to have the same problems. So, we are going to talk about the Ireland, Northern Ireland protocol, but also go into some very interesting points, like, for example, the path took by the MEP to get to this position, the future of the relationship with the United Kingdom and the European Union, the future of the United Kingdom, and also the future of the Republic of Ireland. But before we start the conversation with the MEP, allow me to make a quick summary of where we are right now regarding the Ireland, Northern Ireland protocol. As I record this, the European Parliament urged that there will be action by the European Union to reinforce the two Brexit protocols we have with the United Kingdom. This is due to the fact that there is a bill moving forward in Westminster that disapplies some of the protocol. In fact, Fine Gael MEP Sean Kelly, which leads the negotiation for the Trade Committee, said that the measures will facilitate the imposition of restrictions on trade, investments and their activities falling within the scope of the Withdrawal Agreement and the Trade and Cooperation Agreement. MEP Kelly also mentions that he is bitterly disappointed with the unfortunate reality that the British government has not engaged in serious negotiation with the Northern Ireland Protocol since February, and this is also shared by MEP Barry Andrews. This bill that is moving in Westminster, is going now to the House of Lords, has been championed by Liz Truss, and this bill would effectively dismantle the protocol in its current form. And then we have locally also questions. For example, the DUP, which is a democratic unionist party from Northern Ireland, has blocked the formation of the Northern Ireland Assembly and Executive, insisting that it will only return to power when the bill is enacted. And all of this as we move to what could be a trade war with our friends from the North. But now, with no further ado, I bring you MEP Barry Andrews. I'm here with MEP Barry Andrews. Barry, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. My great pleasure, Ricardo. You're very welcome to Dublin. Delighted to have all of our colleagues here in Dublin over this weekend. Oh, it's a privilege to have you on the podcast. And indeed, like Barry just said, we are in Dublin right now. I took the opportunity uh, to have the MEP here with the works of the Congress, of the Alder Party. And thank you so much for coming to the podcast. And let's start with you so that the audience can have a glimpse of you before we go into the main question of the podcast. So what was the path took to get you to this point that you're, you're giving me some of your precious time? Well, um, I'm, I was a school teacher originally when I started uh, working life and eventually I became a lawyer and I was a barrister for some years and then I became a national politician. I was in the national parliament for eight years, nine years. I was a cabinet minister uh, with responsibility for children and 
I could go on, but uh, fast forward to 2019, I suppose Brexit had a lot to do with it. I decided to try to come back into politics uh, because I recognised that Brussels would be an important centre of political gravity for Ireland uh, post-Brexit. I contested the 2019 election. Uh, Strangely, I won a seat, but it was dormant until the British actually left in February 2020. There were mm-hmm. 27 MEPs in that category. We were frozen MEPs. So eventually I did start um, in February 2020, and that's what brought me into the European Parliament. You said something really interesting, and that was, all right, Brexit made me come back to the fold, come back to politics and, and to be an um, agent of change. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Was that something that was like overnight, something that was progressed and you were thinking about it? Well, you you know, I lost my seat in the National Parliament in 2011. So I went off and did other things. Uh, But when the Brexit vote happened in 2016, uh, I was eventually became the director general of a think tank here in Ireland. So I spent a lot of time 2017, 2018, thinking about Brexit and what it meant for Ireland. And in the European Union, Ireland and the UK were very strongly aligned surprising to most people but Ireland and the UK voted the same way and many things we both are English speaking we both come from a common law uh, tradition Uh, we also have a a similar approach to commercial law Uh, and so when the UK were leaving I recognise and many people recognise that we were losing one of our best allies in Brussels and so Mm -hmm. that Ireland was facing without being too dramatic a crisis of influence in Brussels and therefore it felt to me like the, the the real place of, as I say, political gravity for Ireland would move a bit more to Brussels than it had been before. That made it an exciting option for me. And so I allowed my name to go forward for nomination to the European Parliament. And happily, I eventually got there. There was a confluence in here where you said, well, we're losing that axis of London, uh, Dublin, but now there's a new axis. Let's explore that. Exactly. So, you know, London used to x-ray all of the proposals of regulations and directives from a perspective that we appreciated and understood and benefited from. Mm-hmm. Though I'm talking about Whitehall uh, and, the, uh, and the, the, the engine of government in Whitehall, which was able to look at all these proposals. Um, Ireland is, clearly doesn't have the capacity to, to do that as a small member state. Um, so, you know, the Irish government started casting around to see what alliances, what informal friendships could emerge post-Brexit. And so, yeah, there was people like myself thinking about Brussels as a place to work, as a place to uh, to do politics for the future. And I think we've been pretty successful in, uh, in, in trying to fill the gap left by our alliance with the UK and Brussels. This was the past. Let's talk about where we are right now. You are very closely connected to exactly these relationships, Brussels, Dublin, London, Belfast. And we know how, how it's going right now, negotiations with the United Kingdom. So give us a little bit the feeling of someone that is inside the process. What is your uh, take on the, the present situation? Because we're going to talk about the future of the relationship. But now, what do you think? Well, it's, it's very simple. Um, the problem is, is the protocol as far as uh, the British are concerned. The problems of the protocol are entirely solvable. Um, you know, it's not beyond the statecraft of the parties to fix them. But what's absolutely missing from the negotiation, and it's, you know, we say it's not a negotiation, 
But what's missing from the relationship right now is trust. And the European Commission has repeatedly provided concessions to the UK. And each time the UK has simply uh, accepted the concession and looked for more. Mm -hmm. And threatened the European Commission with various different things, has carried out various unilateral actions in breach of the spirit of the agreement, in breach of good faith. And so it's very difficult now for the European Union, albeit recognising there are simple, simple solutions to the problems, to now grant more concessions to the British, because we have no idea when the demands will ever end. Um, originally, it was just solve the protocol, solve the problems of goods moving from uh, from the GB to Northern Ireland. But now it's the European Court of Justice. Now it's VAT. Now it's state aid. And they keep raising other issues. So it feels to me like a sort of permanent war suits the UK mentality, well, the Tory government mentality. And so it makes resolution of these problems very difficult. And unfortunately, uh, the uh, the collateral damage to all of this is Northern Ireland and the relationships in the north that, that are suffering from the cynicism of the UK government. And we're going to get into that in a minute, but let me stay here because, again, so interesting. So there was an alignment when United Kingdom was inside the European Union. You felt that. You felt that there was at least some kinship. And now it's just purely politics then, because the, the interests are still the same. So it's just because bad governance and, and bad people in front of the government? Yeah, well, we had a golden age of Anglo-Irish relations from 1998 onwards. And, you know, from the period even before that, from the IRA ceasefire, the Queen came to Ireland first time ever. The Irish president visited in the UK first time ever in the in the period before the Brexit vote, but of course Brexit upended all of that, and the the problem now is that it's very difficult to find uh, points of commonality. And but but you're right, the interests are still the same. And what frustrates me is that there's a huge agenda out there of common interest, whether it's climate, whether it's the energy crisis, whether it's security and defence whether it is any of the, the issues that we discussed at the Parliamentary Assembly just two weeks ago, uh, common uh, approaches to university research, for example, that are all being delayed now for one reason, and that is the inability to resolve the protocol. So it really, it, there's huge opportunity costs uh, associated with all this issue. Another key stakeholder, not only this is a relationship between the UK and EU, but you also have the United States, and in particular the US Congress, lead, led now by the Democrats, it is true. But for example, in the interparliamentary meeting, the 84th parliamentary meeting, there was a clear sign, and that was that sign was, do not mess with the, uh, with the agreements that are connected to the uh, Good Friday Agreement. Do you think that is healthy? Do you think that this is a thing related just between us here in this side of the Atlantic? Because I know I do know that transatlantic relationships are something that European Union also cherish. I think the visit of the US congressional delegation actually was not helpful. Um, there's a difference between the U.S. government and the U.S. Congress. And the U.S. government has played a really positive role at crucial moments in the, the peace process in Northern Ireland. The delegation, unfortunately, didn't bring any positive proposals. There was no appointment of a special envoy. 
um, and it was perceived by unionism as a hostile delegation mm. to their interests. Mm. Now, you don't get anything achieved in Northern Ireland by being hostile to one community and mm. uh, yeah. uh, favourable to the other community. And I also, uh, controversially, if I may say, uh, I, I didn't, don't believe what Nancy Pelosi was saying, that uh, a US-UK trade deal uh, is possible somehow or another if the protocol is resolved. In my opinion, there's no chance whatsoever of a US-UK trade deal in any circumstances at the moment. Um, President Biden is pursuing a, a made in America, defending American workers, protectionist approach. And, you know, there is, so, so to be talking about that is irrelevant in my, in my opinion. I think the US government will be much better served rather than simply admonishing the UK government to really lean into this issue and start to provide some the kind of leadership that has helped before. In the previous occasions, when the UK were in the European Union, that was a positive, neutral forum for the resolution of some of these thorny issues. Now the US plays an even more important role. So the congressional visit uh, was nice for it to happen, but I don't think it added anything to the uh, resolution of this issue. All right, something for us to follow as uh, the process keeps developing. And I ask MEP Andrews to, to talk to me because I know that with you we can go directly into some topics that are not easy to talk. But I feel like we should talk about them because we're, again, thinking about the future and the future of Ireland, which I do care about. Sinn Féin, it's, we know about it. We're not going to talk about them per se. We know that... They would like, they could have a poll about reunification. So again, Barry, I know hard, it's quite a heavy topic to talk to, but would you like to share some of your insights with us on that? They are rising in popularity and they've been very successful in the assembly elections and were very successful in the Irish parliament elections February 2020. So, uh, and their view is that we should have a citizens' assembly to discuss what a united Ireland would look like. Now, the Irish government takes the view that we need to do a bit more work on uniting people rather than uniting mm -hmm. territory. And so the Taoiseach, the Irish Prime Minister, it has a shared island unit, which is around that shared space idea of trying to build unity of people and unity of influence rather than unity of territory at this time. Nevertheless... I have to say that we should be having a conversation about what a united Ireland actually will look like. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like in Germany where you have two political entities, one disappears and one becomes larger and simply swallows up what was there. Mm -hmm. it, with Ireland, it won't, be a, uh, it won't be an acquisition. It'll be a merger. Yes. So two things will disappear and a new thing will emerge. And there is no agreement whatsoever around what that new entity looks like. What, anything to do with the economy, anything to do with the, the flags and emblems, the, the anthem, uh, and none of that is agreed, it, whether it's a federal structure or whether it is a unitary structure. So we definitely have to have discussions around that. And in any case, it does require referendums, both north and south. And currently, there isn't a majority in opinion polls for unity in the north. So I don't think it's as close as Sinn Féin led on, frankly. So we agree with Sinn Féin, we want to united Ireland. But we don't agree on the timing. That's a great point, because that's exactly where I wanted to go next. 
what is your take on it? Because you said something really, really interesting, and that is we need to have discussions and we need to think about unity of people. And I know it's it doesn't have a lot of meaning, but there was this BBC documentary called The Troubles, and they talk with Northern Irish young men and women. And I saw, again, this is anecdotal, but I saw that there's openness to at least the discussion. Do you feel that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the discussion is happening. It is no question. And you get asked as a politician about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Lou MacDonald was in Brussels yesterday with Michelle O'Neill, the first minister designate. And I met them with uh, Stéphane Sejourné and Nathalie Loiseau. And we discussed that very issue. Um, but, you know, I don't think it is as close as people think uh, I don't think Irish you know people in the south of Ireland have had a proper discussion about what the economic consequences of it are because the UK exchequer transfers 12 billion pounds sterling to the Northern Ireland economy every year and in fact some of the public services in Northern Ireland are better than they are in the Republic of Ireland so you know we've got to start asking ourselves what the economic landing ground is and for the moment Uh, There's nothing emerging from the gloom. There's no uh, shape of what that would look like emerging at this stage. So we have an awful long way to go. In the meantime, the Irish Prime Minister, the Taoiseach, uh, is quite actively pursuing the investment in the shared island idea, which has to be done. But Mm -hmm. I think in parallel, we should be having a discussion around what a future uh, United Ireland would look like, particularly how we're going to finance it and how that settlement will work. And this is something... Not for tomorrow, not for any time soon. It'll take a long time to get those common points, as you were mentioning. So let's zoom out and get from the question of Ireland and Northern Ireland and think about European Union and the UK. What will be the best case scenario, Barry? Well, I think the protocol has to be resolved. I think that won't happen until uh, Boris Johnson's leadership issue is resolved one way or the other. And that's the window in late October, early November, very specific, uh, which will be close to the six months uh, before the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland is required to trigger another election. Uh, It'll be after the conference season, and that will trigger the possibility for Europe and the UK to embark on a partnership, not a rivalry, because that's what currently is there. And even the obvious opportunity that Ukraine presents for joint action uh, between the UK and the European Union is being missed. And it is uh, very unfortunate mm-hmm. that that is the case at the moment. So, um, w- you know, security and defence was never a part of the discussions in the preparation for the Trade and Cooperation Agreement uh, because the UK took a maximalist, sovereigntist view and didn't want the European Union having anything to do with it. Now, clearly, it's in our we share exactly the same threat assessment and yet we can't proceed with um, the structures that are required to uh, build the partnership that needs to replace the rivalry. Do you believe in buyer's remorse and that one day with a different government, naturally, but one day with a different government and our friends, the Lib Dems, maybe putting some pressure in the system that we can have, I don't know, another referendum? Or this is like too much wishful thinking? I think it's wishful thinking. Um, I, I think there will... I think it has to go through a generation, frankly. Uh, it's just too profound and deeply seated within the uh, UK mentality, uh, particularly the English nationalist mentality. 
Um, you see, the problem with the UK is that it's disintegrating from within. Scotland, Northern Ireland uh, clearly are at risk of, of departure, complete departure and independence. Um, so, you, you know, I, I, it's, it's very hard to predict what the constitutional settlement in the UK will be. Um, but if Scotland rejoin the European Union, and then of course, if there's a united Ireland, Northern Ireland it automatically becomes part of the European Union. Uh, uh, but but what we're beginning to see is that the so-called Project Fear had w was well founded. Um, the UK economy is drastically underperforming its uh, peers in the in in Europe. Uh, interestingly, Northern Ireland is outperforming the rest of the UK because it has access to the single market. Mm -hmm. But the U UK press is so partisan, it's almost impossible for any of these facts and evidence uh, and realities to break through to the public consciousness. So, uh, yes, I think it'll take some time before we have a serious discussion around possible uh, membership of the EU for the UK. Now, let's talk about Ireland itself. I have some Irish friends, they told me repeatedly what are the dangers of having a party like Sinn Féin in power again we, we're not going to get into that maybe one day I'll, I'll ask you to come back to the podcast and we're going to go into detail on those things but uh, Finn Fell um, doing the work that it's doing trying to have a coalition to fight this uh, populism what is your hope for the future of Ireland then and the work done by Finn Fell, for example yeah, well, we were out of government for 10 years, but uh, we're back in government and we deliberately um, sought to control the, uh, the social levers in government, so in education, in welfare and health. And we set ourselves some very ambitious targets and we'll be judged by how we achieve those. We want to get to, uh, we want to implement changes to the public access into our health service, which is completely inadequate at the moment. We want to improve the housing situation in Dublin, which is extremely challenging at the moment. But we are now on track to achieve our targets in 2022 with 35,000 houses, both private, social and affordable. Um, and we really need to provide uh, an opportunity for young people in Ireland to get into the housing sector. And that is the one way we're going to be tested. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a great city. It's very vibrant. There's full employment. There's great opportunities. Educational facilities here in Ireland are excellent. Um, I think the social welfare system is, is is one of the best in the world, and the you know Ireland is a very charitable country. We, we we're, we're top of the league for volunteerism in this country around the world. So there's a lot of really positive things about Ireland, but the challenges are particularly in housing and health. And if we don't manage to uh, implement our policies successfully, unfortunately, we will pay a heavy price at the next election. But I think we need to challenge as well. Uh, the simplistic slogans um, and uh, simplistic populist solutions. Tell our listeners, please, where they can follow you online. Do you have a presence on social networks? Yes, so that's an occupational hazard now uh, <laughs> with our, our, our dreadful profession. So I'm at uh, Barry Andrews MEP. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook. So yeah, I'm on all these, uh, these platforms and try to keep people... Uh, abreast of the work that I do because the European Parliament sometimes uh, really doesn't get its message across as well as national parliaments do. So social media is a gift for uh, the European Parliament. There's no doubt about it. I'm going to put all the links on the show notes of the podcast. I would like to end with one final note, personal one. You know that countries like Portugal, Greece, we were together on that uh, bucket that we were put during the uh, the most difficult 
period of economic crisis. So we look we look up to Ireland and hope that the solutions you have, even for example for populism, as is growing up in other countries like mine in Portugal. So the solutions that work for you guys will work for us also. I've been talking with MEP Barry Andrews. Barry, thank you so much for your time. My great pleasure, Ricardo. I really enjoyed it, the conversation. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. Before I go into the events organized by Alpha this week, allow me to promote the next episode that we're going to have here in a podcast that is going to be introduced by me, which we're going to focus again on Northern Ireland and also on Scotland. And this relates to the future of the relationship between the UK and the European Union, but also the problems that are brewing right now with the United Kingdom, particularly regarding an independence referendum in Scotland, a poll on unification with Ireland and Northern Ireland, as we discussed in the podcast, and also the possibility of having what is called a Celtic Protocol. Now for the event organized by Alpha this week on the 15th of September at the Orangerge San Susi. I hope I said that right. This is in Potsdam. We have the European Digital Strategic Autonomy, a panacea in international digital battlefield. Speakers for this event, including Professor Paul Timmers, which is a research associate at the University of Oxford, visiting professor at the University of Louvain and at the University of Rijeka, and also Hubert van Voss. She's executive director of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue in Germany, and this all with the moderation of our executive director, Daniel Kadek. To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberté Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. (laughs) 